listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Good morning, everybody, and happy Father's Day to the dads out there and here and out there. So um, we are uh, grateful that you're here this morning. We're grateful if you're, you're tuning in this morning as well, either through uh, Facebook or YouTube. Um, we're glad that you are able to participate with us. And um, we are thankful, I'm thankful that we can gather like this. Um, it is so, uh, it's so encouraging to me and it just kind of lifts my spirits um, as people come back into the building. And so I look forward to getting back to the way it quote unquote used to be. Right, but this is this is good. This is a good a good first step. Um, so we're going to be in Ruth chapter three this morning. Um, the title of the message is "Hope in Action," and I want I want us to understand here is that um, there's been such a change in Naomi's attitude, and we looked at that a little bit last week that she starts now taking steps. Right, if you remember back, um, the uh, Ruth chapter 1 or act 1 of this story, we saw a family in crisis, um, but we also zoomed out and it was really a, a matter of the royal line, David's line being in crisis. And then last week in chapter 2 or act 2, we, we saw this glimmer of hope. And it started with uh, Boaz and Ruth meeting Boaz. Remember, Ruth just happened to be in the field that Boaz owned. And Boaz just happened to come to the field when Ruth was there. All those things. And that was God's sovereignty at work and orchestrating this meeting. Um, but Boaz is a very worthy man. And he's from the clan of Elimelech. And that is going to be profoundly important, as we will see this morning. But Ruth takes the initiative and asks Naomi if it would be okay for her to go out and to glean in the fields. And then she ends up meeting Boaz, and Boaz, we, we see what kind of man Boaz is as he interacts with his supervisor, the foreman of the field, as he interacts with Ruth. Remember, he goes above and beyond when it comes to caring for Ruth. And even just as he interacts with his workers, how he would greet his workers in the morning, just the way he instructed his workers to protect and provide um, for Ruth. And then Ruth ends up going home. She had gleaned uh, 30 to 50 pounds of barley. And so she shares with Naomi what happened. And Naomi is encouraged by all of this because Boaz is a relative and he is a redeemer. And we saw her attitude change towards Yahweh. And all of a sudden she saw Yahweh or the God, her God, the God of the Bible, um, look favorably upon her. And he had not forsaken the living or the deads. And now this morning, we're going to see um, the, the fruit of that glimmer of hope in the life of Naomi. So I want to read uh, Ruth chapter 3 for us, all 18 verses, and then we'll spend some time unpacking um, this next chapter, um, Hope in Action. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And, they, and Ruth replied, 
All that you say, I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said to her, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out, he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, the chance to, to gather here and to worship you. Lord, I thank you for the songs that have been sung and the prayers that have been prayed. Lord, I just pray that you would now be with us as we spend time in your words. Lord, your word is truth. And as your son, Jesus Christ, prayed, we pray that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, that we would know you better, that we would love you more, that our lives would be changed, our hearts would be softened, our minds would be open to who you are and to the truth of your word. Lord, you do love us and you care deeply for us. To the point where you sent your one and only son, our true and the ultimate redeemer. And so we praise you for that. We thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that we would just be attentive to your word this morning, Lord, that again, we would be changed because of what we do here this morning, because of your work in our hearts. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So this is a fascinating chapter, right? And there's, there's some things here that are kind of weird, right? And kind of kind of creepy. And so we're going to unpack some of those um, for, uh, for you this morning. But as we work our way through, what I want you to see, number one, is that Naomi now has a tremendous amount of faithfulness to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Remember, it was Ruth who had clung to her, even though Naomi was trying to push her away, say, go back to Moab, go back to your people, get a husband there, right? Ruth said, no way, I'm with you. And now all of a sudden, Naomi has a soft spot or a softer spot for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And she says, my daughter, should I not re seek rest for you that it may be well with you? 
And so she wants to provide rest, and, and kind of loaded in that word rest is this idea of security that can be attained by marriage. Remember, Ruth is a widow, and so that rest would be the provision of a husband to care for her and to provide for her. And Naomi wants to help provide that rest, but she also wants to help so things would be well with Ruth. There was a lot of kind of stigma, if you will, if you were a widow, now, now, Naomi's a Moabite, right? And we know that Israelites and Moabites weren't exactly friends, right? But if we look at Naomi's story, or Ruth's story, excuse me, um, Ruth's father-in-law died, Ruth's husband died, right? So she's going to be, there's going to be a lot of hesitation when it comes to Ruth. And so there's a stigma, there's some reproach that is there. And it could lead to anxiety and worry about the future. Will I ever find a husband? Is, is there going to be someone for me? People are going to be kind of a little bit standoffish. And you're saying, Ruth, Ruth I, I need to help you find rest, and I want things to go well for you. And what I don't want us to miss here is the fact that Naomi doesn't mention her situation. It's Ruth. Now, at the end of chapter 1, remember, Naomi told the people of Bethlehem, the women of Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I went away full, I returned empty. The Lord's hand has dealt mightily with me or is heavy against me. So her, her focus has changed here. It's different than the end of chapter 1. This glimmer of hope, right, has kind of welled up inside of Naomi. She's beginning to see God's faithfulness. She's beginning to see God work behind the scenes, and she's going to respond to that. Right? And so she goes on, and in verse 2 she says, hey, there's this, there's this guy, Boaz, right? You know who I'm talking about. Our relative owns fields. He's providing food for us. Right? He, he's winnowing barley tonight in the threshing floor. Right? Boaz might be the solution to our crisis. He's a good guy. He's a worthy man. He might be able to help us more than he's already helping us. And so then she shares the plan with Ruth. Okay, now what I want you to do, I'm going to read these to these verses 3, 4, and 5. Okay, put yourself in Ruth's shoes for a moment, right? And you're listening to your mother-in-law hatch this plan for you, all right? Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking, all right, so wash up, pretty yourself, and just lurk in the shadows and creep them. That's what she's telling her to do. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. At this, right? It's weird, right? Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, if, if I'm Ruth, I'm like, huh? Right? Uh, there's, I've got more questions than I could come up with that I could feel like I could spell out in a day. And all Ruth says is, all that you say, I will do. So here's, here's this plan. And the fact that Naomi now has a plan shows that she has hope. 
Right? Because people who feel like they're victims, people who feel like they're, they're isolated or, or, or hopeless, don't typically make plans like this. Right? There, there's, there's depression that sets in. There's doubt that creeps in. There's just this, ah, I can't, what am I supposed to do? Right? And, and, and we, we see this. Right? Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? There's no hope, but now there's hope. And we start to see action. So as long as Naomi could only say, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me, She's not going to have a whole lot of strategy and planning for the future. She's going to feel isolated and hopeless and helpless. And we see this, right, in chapter 2 of, and verse 2, when it was Ruth who took the initiative, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. But now... Naomi has a plan. There's this glimmer of hope. And so now she's going to, she's going to act. Right? She begins to see God at work, and she begins, begins to see God moving. He hasn't forsaken the living or the dead. And so that spurs her on to action. This is the, when we talked about the gospel grid last week and this change that we saw in Naomi. Right? And it's these glimmers of hope that help us think up ways to do good. It's true for Naomi, and it is true for us. When I feel hopeless, when I feel isolated, right, I, I, I don't do a whole heck of a lot. I'm not seeing God necessarily at work, and I'm just so inwardly focused. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. But Naomi has hope. She's beginning to have a renewed confidence in her God, her sovereign God that hasn't forgotten the living or the dead. And it is that hope that is fueling this action and fueling this plan. And it is the same for us. We have this same. When we see glimmers of hope in the midst of trial and seasons of suffering, that should spur us on and force us into to action. And Ruth is the, clearly the focus of this plan. Naomi wants to, to help win her a godly husband. Naomi wants to secure her a future, right? Naomi wants to see the family line preserved. So she tells her the plan. And the plan is not just far-fetched, it's weird. Right? Her plan is riddled with danger. And man, there is such an opportunity for misperception. Right? When, when Boaz tells Ruth... Right when they're parting ways, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Here's the reason why. It was during harvest season. It was a very common practice right, for the men to be threshing the grain in the evening after the hard day's work, and that was a prime opportunity for prostitutes to come visit the threshing floor under the cover of darkness, 
sneak in, sneak out, right? So there's, there's danger here, and there's misperception here. And so really, the, this plan that Naomi has really kind of hinges on the discernment and the integrity of Ruth and Boaz. And so Ruth, excuse me, Naomi tells Ruth to, to trade in your garments and clean yourself up. What she's saying here basically is, listen, the, the time for mourning your husband is over. Right? We, 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 you need to get on and, and, and live your life. Take action. Be thinking about your future. Right? Go out and go to Boaz. And he will do, he will tell you what to do. Boaz is going to know what to do when he sees you laying at his feet and his, and his feet are uncovered. He's going he's to know what to do. Naomi is asking Ruth to put herself at risk, to be vulnerable, to dress up, and to lay at the feet of a working man in the middle of the night when it was common for prostitutes to do the same thing. It's scandalous. It would raise a lot of suspicion, right? But Naomi knows something, right? Naomi knows that Boaz is a worthy man. Boaz has a reputation. He's a relative. He's a redeemer. And she knows about the integrity of Ruth, right? For Pete's sake, she tried to kick her out and, get, and boot her back to Moab, and she wouldn't go, and she clung to her. And now she's going out, and she said, hey, I'll go get, I'll glean. Right? She knows the character and integrity of Ruth. And so this plan seems like a good idea. And John Piper calls this what we see here in Ruth chapter 3, strategic righteousness. And this is what, how he describes it. Basically, it's putting a plan into place all while trusting in the sovereignty of God. When you, when you see hope, when you see these glimmers of hope, right, and you have this zeal to do what God requires you to do, to do what is good and to do what is right, then you take active steps to do what is right and to do what is good, all while you trust in the sovereignty of God's. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? That's doing good. That's doing what is right. That's caring for her daughter-in-law. And she's going to take these steps all while trusting in the sovereignty of God. She's beginning to see God move and work in a clearer way. And she's going to take these steps. So Naomi's faith seems to be growing Right? She, she knows who Boaz is. She, she has faith in who Boaz is as a relative of his redeemer, but she has faith in her God. She's seeing him work, and she's seeing him move. And to all of this, Ruth says, all that you say, I will do. And so in verse 6, the author of Ruth provides us this, this fantastic summary statement, and, and it's, this is like actually like no shock at all right, with what we know about Ruth. Right? Ruth goes down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her to do. No kidding. 
right? Ruth is faithful. Right? We, we know that Ruth is going to do this. But then we start to see this plan unpack a little bit. Right, so Ruth heads down to the threshing floor, and in verse 7, Boaz has finished eating and drinking, and his heart was merry, and he went to lie down at the, at the end of a heap of grain. Right, so Ruth goes to the threshing floor and watches. Okay, this, is, this is like before Facebook. This is before you can like creep stalk people on Facebook. Right, she, she's like just in there just watching. Right? Not being seen, not being detected. Right? Boaz finishes eating and drinking. His heart was merry. That doesn't mean that he was drunk. Right? What that means is that, man, he, he was very contented. He was very satisfied. He'd put in a hard day's work. Right? And that's a good tired when you put in a hard day's work. He's sitting by, he's laying down next to this heap of grain. Right? God had been providing for him continually and just been very blessed, had been blessing him and his efforts and his workers and the fields and the crops. And he just, he was, it was a good tired. And he falls asleep. And Ruth sneaks in, uncovers his feet, and lays down. So obviously it was a deep sleep, right? And, and lays down. Okay, that, that's weird. Right? If we're honest, that's just weird. And so, but we need to, right, we need to unpack this. We need to go to Deuteronomy chapter 25. <laughs> we need to spend some time here because this is what lies behind this account. And I'm going to read Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10. And it says this. This is the law concerning Leverite marriage. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Okay, there's, there's that family kind of clan mentality. We stick together, we provide for one another. Right? Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of, the de of his dead brother, and his name may not be blotted out, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. So the dead brother, the brother of the dead brother, right? Right? It's going to help provide a child for his sister-in-law so his brother's family line can continue. If the man does not wish to take the, his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's family in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him and in the presence of the elders pull off his sandal and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. 
That's lying behind this scene on the threshing floor with Ruth creeping in under the cover of darkness, removing his sandal and laying down at his feet. Elimelech has died. His two sons have died. His inheritance, his land, his name was destined to be cut off. And so someone within the clan of Elimelech needs to take the initiative to make sure that that does not happen by providing a child for Naomi so that child's son, so that son can inherit Elimelech's property and all those kind of, and that, so Elimelech's line can continue. Now, there's, there's tremendous sacrifice here because the, the, the brother of Elimelech, right, is going to provide the son, but the son's going to get all of Elimelech's stuff. And, and so it's, it's his son, but it's really Elimelech's son. It gets really confusing, right? It's like a, like a soap opera, right? But you see what happens, right? There's risk here. But it was to raise up the offspring for their brother so the brother's line does not end. Again, that, that, that family mentality that they had back then, the importance of the family unit, the importance of the clan. Now, if the brother said, hey, I'm not doing that, right, that, that was shameful, clearly, right? The wife would then go to, the sister-in-law would then go to the elders and say, hey, listen, he's not going to. The elder would call him and say, oh, I'm not going to do that. And they'd be like, oh, you know, that's not good. And so the wife, the sister-in-law then takes off the sandal and spits on him and then he's, he's kind of a reproach to the family and to the, to the town that they, they live in. So when, when Ruth walks into the threshing floor and takes, uncovers the feet of Boaz, i.e. takes his sandals off of his feet, it was to communicate, basically, don't put yourself in the shameful category one who's been unsandaled. So Naomi knew what she was doing. Right? She knew what she was doing. She had a plan. It was, it was weird, but it was, she was following right, the Mosaic law and what they were to live in light of. And she knows that, that Boaz is a worthy man and seeks to please God. So she has this plan. I said, so now you're Boaz, right, in verse 8, right, and, and Boaz wakes up, you know, perhaps it's, you know, he got chilled, right, and he goes into adjust the, he's using his cloak as a blanket, right, and he goes to adjust his cloak, he's adjusting his cloak, he bang, he bumps into or kicks, right, this woman laying at her feet. Now, Boaz is no dummy, right? there's a really good chance that woman, right, is a prostitute who's come to visit him on the threshing room floor, right? So he's um, pretty, um, I think, justifiably um, startled. And there's a woman laying at his feet, and he says, who are you? Right? That's, a, that's an appropriate question. Who are you? It's dark. 
Okay, you weren't here when I was eating dinner, and you weren't here when I laid down next to the sleeping but now you're here. Who are you? And Ruth identifies herself by name, right, and by her, her position, right, in, in the culture, right? I, I'm Ruth, I'm your, your servants. And then she says, spread your wings over your servants, for you are a redeemer. Sounds very similar to chapter 2, verse 12, when Boaz praises Ruth and says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Right, Ruth had first taken refuge in God's, not in finding a husband's, but in God's. But now she's taking refuge in Boaz, who's a relative and who's, who's a, a redeemer of, of Naomi and by extension by Ruth. And, and God has sovereignly orchestrated, right, Ruth meeting Boaz. And all these pieces kind of coming together behind the scenes as they're just living their lives and seeking to do what is good and do what is right. He's pulling all of this together. And she tells him, marry me. That's what she's saying. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And so all of a sudden, right, Boaz, right, has an opportunity to fulfill the prayer or the blessing that he uttered back in chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, The Lord repay for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Okay, this is shocking on so many different levels. And, and I, I think that Ruth actually takes Naomi's plan up a level. Because right? Naomi just told her, hey, lay at his feet and he'll tell you what to do. Right? But, but Ruth seems to kind of like push the envelope, if you will, a little bit and says, marry me. A servant demanding that her boss marry her. A Moabite making a demand on an Israelite man to marry her. A woman making the demand of a man to marry her. A younger woman proposing to an older man. A poor person proposing to a rich man. What's Boaz going to do now? Startled awake, finding a woman laying at his feet, right? Probably a little bit disoriented. Heart's probably racing a little bit, right? He's got a little adrenaline pumping. Here's this. What's Boaz going to say to Naomi? Well, he, or Ruth, excuse me, he responds with a blessing, with a promise, 
then he, he's so transparent, like you see his integrity, because he says, hey, there's, there's a potential complication here, but then he reassures her. Right? Boaz asked God to bless Ruth because she made this last kindness greater than the first. Okay, that word kindness, that's hesed. Right, she's made this last hesed greater than the first. Now, the, the first is pretty good. You, you stuck with your mother-in-law. You, didn't, you could have gone back to Moab. She, actually, she encouraged you to go back. You could have followed Orpah back to Moab, but you didn't. You stayed with your mother-in-law. She was bitter. She said she came back empty, but you're standing there right next to her. But you stayed with her. You went out into the field and you gleaned and provided food for your mother-in-law. That is, that is really good kindness and that is really good hesed. But what you're doing now trumps that. It's greater than what you've done because you're saying to me that you want to see her line, the line of Elimelech, her husband, continue. And you're a Moabite, and you really don't have any allegiance there, but, but you're saying that you want to see this happen. Now, now we know that ultimately, like, this is, this is the line of David. Right? We have to see not to, we can't just focus on Elimelech's family. We have to see this through the, line, the bigger lens of redemption. It's, this is the line of David continuing. But she's, but she's saying, man, you, 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 just, you just keep kicking it up a notch. This hesed is, is greater than the first May God, God bless you for this. And then he promises her to do all for her that she asks. Right? I'll do what you ask me to do. Now, Ruth has said this to Naomi after the, after the, the plan. All that you say I will do. Now, both saying, hey, listen, I'll do for you what you're asking me to do. Because you are a worthy woman. That phrase is used in two other places in the Old Testament. It's used in Proverbs chapter 12, the first part of verse 4, which says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And that phrase is used again in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, when Solomon writes, an excellent wife who can find. There, there's, there's, a, there's an excellency that Ruth has. There's, there's a quality that Ruth has. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. It describes the ideal wife, the wife's work ethic, her devotion to her family, her concerns for others. And this is how Boaz describes Ruth, but it's not just Boaz, it's his fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. You're a catch. Right? And he, he said earlier that like you you you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Right? You, you're, you're coming to me. Boaz is an older man. Now he's rich. He's an older man. There's a lot of younger men out there, right? A lot stronger than me. You're going to live a lot longer than I am, but you're coming to, to me to do this. 
but he's so honest and transparent with her. And he says, listen, I, I, am, I am a redeemer, right? but, but there is a redeemer that is, that is closer than I am. I'm a relative, I'm a Limelech, but there's somebody in between Elimelech and myself who's a closer redeemer. It's a complication. He's not backpedaling. He's not trying to get cute here. He's like being faithful to the word of God, being faithful to the law. He's acting appropriately. And he's saying, I am a redeemer, but I'm not the redeemer. The redeemer, there's this other guy. But then he reassures her, right? If, if he redeems you, that, that's good. And, and let him do that because that, that's he has that obligation. But if he's not, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So he reassures her, either way, redemption is happening. Either way, it's going to take place. And he vows on the name of God to redeem her if the other man does not. Back in Ruth chapter 1, verse 17, Ruth tells Naomi, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Similar idea. Right? God is my witness. I'm going to stick with you, Naomi, till the end. God is my witness, Ruth. I will redeem you if he does not. And so she lays down until the morning. I'm going to guess there probably wasn't a lot of sleep. Right? Her mind's probably racing. Right? Obviously, they're both aware of the fact that, hey, if, if people see her leaving this threshing floor, heading back into town, right, questions are going to be asked. So under the cover of darkness, right, they, they part ways, right? Boaz was going to go above and beyond to make sure that he protects Ruth's reputation. She's a worthy woman. But he doesn't leave her to, to go home empty-handed. He gives her six measures of barley. And then she goes back into the city. And she arrives at Naomi's house. And Naomi asks, how did you fare, my daughter? And then Ruth tells her all that, that Boaz did for her. He says that the, the, like these six measures of barley that she gave to me, and, and he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now, do you think for a moment when Naomi heard those words, she didn't stop? And, and maybe like, what? Like, why, why, did, why did Boaz give you six measures? He's been providing food for us for weeks. Why is he giving us six measures of barley? I, I can't go back empty-handed to you. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. That's what Naomi had said 
weeks earlier, right? Don't call me Mara. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I went away full. I came back empty. And Boaz is saying, I couldn't send you back empty-handed to your, to your mother-in-law. Boaz is a loyal redeemer that Yahweh, that God has provided for the clan of Elimelech, for Naomi, and for Ruth. And the last thing that Boaz wants is for them to feel like they're empty. He wants to provide for his family. And Naomi responds, right, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. How much confidence did Naomi have in Boaz? And Boaz was not going to sleep on this. He was not going to take time to think about this. Boaz knew what he had to, to do. So be patient and wait, and we'll see how this plays out. And what a fascinating chapter. Right? What a fan. There's, there's so many things that we can, we, can, we can pull from this and we can glean from this. Right? As Boaz right, is, is, this, is this loyal redeemer right, who does not want to see his family empty, who does not want to see any, any family member suffer or go without Right, he's such. He's a. He's a picture of Christ. Right, our ultimate Redeemer, who bought us back from death and from sin, so that we can have fulfillment, and that we can have life, and that we can have it abundantly. John ten ten. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ is our redeemer. Christ is the one who fills us. Christ is the one who gives us life to the point where he willingly laid down his life for us. He's the ultimate redeemer. But there's also something happening here in the book of Ruth, right, that I want to end with, and I hope that this is a huge encouragement to you, as it was for me. Right? Christ is our redeemer. He has bought us back. We have life in him. But there's a way that God now looks at us and sees us because of Christ. So as, as I looked back through the book of Ruth, here's something that stood out to me. And, and I'll just hit a, a handful of them. In chapter 1, Naomi is encouraging Ruth to go back to her people. 
right? Go back to Moab. Go back to your people. Go back to your nation. Go back to your family. And all these, by the way, had to do with the identity of Ruth. In response to that, Ruth says, right, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Right, so in chapter 1, there's this, this wrestling that is going on, I believe, right, a bigger picture of, of, of Ruth and her identity. Yeah, she's, she's a Moabite, but you're my mother-in-law, and, and I'm going to be faithful to you, and, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my gods. There's identity there happening. In chapter 2, Boaz arrives to the fields, he greets his workers, and then he has a conversation with the supervisor, the foreman of the crew, and he asks, whose young woman is this? Identity. Who, who, who's, who's that? Ruth, in the course of the conversation, says, I am a foreigner. Identity. Naomi says uh, of Boaz, Right, he is our relative, he is our redeemer. Your people will be my people, your God will be my God. You said that, Ruth, he's our redeemer. There's this wrestle, right, with, with identity. In chapter 3, Boaz is startled awake, finds Naomi laying at his feet, and he says, who are you? Now, we have to spend a couple minutes talking about the question that Naomi asked Ruth when Ruth came back to the house. The ESV says, how did you fare my daughter? Literally, and, and I think that I'm not saying that the ESV is wrong here, so don't hear those words, right? Because I think they're, they're I think they're accurate here. But this is what this is what the wording is literally. Who are you, my daughter? Right now, the, the plan, like Naomi's plan, was to like, hey, here, let's get Boaz here, and like, let's let's help, help, he can redeem us. And she's literally asking, who are you, my daughter, or or how did it how did you fare, my daughter? Right, so are, are you, talk to me. Is he going to redeem you? Because that was the plan, right? So who are you? Are you my, well, you still, well, I guess you won't be my daughter-in-law, but are you Boaz's wife? Identity. And how will Ruth be seen? How will Naomi be seen? How will Boaz be seen? Right? By God's grace, you'll hear that next week from Jeff. Right? <laughs> but but what I want to do now is I want to read, right? Because our identity is in Christ. Right? It's, it's in nothing else. It's in Christ who willingly laid down his life. He is our ultimate redeemer. So here is how, and these are just some, 
I, I could spend probably the rest of the day reading other verses. I'm just going to read a handful of verses that speak to our new identity in Christ and how God sees us in Christ. John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Your identity is not in your sin. Your identity is in Christ because of what Christ has done for you on the cross, and that is how God views you, and that's how God sees you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. In the same way also, we were children, we were children, let me start over. In the same way also, when we were children, we, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world's but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God's. That's how God sees us because of what Christ has done for. That is our new identity. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek thing, the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God's. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's our identity in Christ, and that's how God sees us and how he views us because of what Christ has done for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous 
lights. Because of Christ, that's who we are. That's our identity. That's who we are. That's how God sees us. So when we start thinking about it, we start questioning who we are, when we feel like we're maybe defined by our sins and our failures, or maybe we're defined by a, a crisis that we find ourselves in, that is not true. You're defined by Christ and who he is and what he has done for you. He is our fulfillment. He has redeemed us. In him we have life and we have life to the full. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm thankful that, that you, you sent him to this earth, Lord, to do that we, were, we had no chance of doing, and that is redeeming ourselves. Apart from Christ, we are, we are lost. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We're enemies of yours. We're children of wrath. We're sons of disobedience. But you sent your son to this earth to redeem us back. We're not defined by our sin. We're not defined by our past life. We're defined by Christ and what he has done. And Lord, you see us through the lens of Jesus. Lord, and we are so thankful for that. Lord, may we never forget that and may we never lose sight of that. We have life and we have it abundantly because of Jesus. Lord, when you look at us, you see the perfection of your son. But when you look at your son, you see our sin. But when you look at Jesus, you see, when you look at us, you see the perfection of your son, and that is life, and we have it to the full, and we have eternity with you. Lord, and may we never, ever, ever lose sight of our identity and the power of the gospel and your redemptive love, your hesed towards us. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.